0: Before we begin, we would like to warn you that this episode contains genital related discussion. Should any of you be offended by discussions relating to genitals, then please stop listening and find an episode that is not related to genital discussion. All complaints should be addressed to Dr. Bramwell, the Auditorium Podcast, England. Brackets, genital related discussions, and will be looked at and filed in the Auditorium Biscuit Tin. Welcome to The Auditorium, a portal to the fringes of culture. Hello and welcome to
1: The Auditorium podcast with me, your host, Dr David Brownwell, and my co-pilot... A humble David Mountfield. The lovely, the lovely David Mountfield. Oh, bless you. Um, So, we we thought we were going to do something different as an intro to this talk. Really different for us. We thought that because this was such an incredible... An unusual topic for the auditorium. We didn't need a gimmicky introduction no, with sound effects and clever foreshadowing of content and falling over in the studio yeah. and all that nonsense, which we we normally do. We thought we'll, we'll play it dead straight and just introduce someone who is the world expert, quite in this in this subject matter, and uh, and, and let. The material speak for itself. Speak
2: for itself. Yeah, it's time we did that. We've been over-egging the it pudding is. for a so long guys, time now. So, without
1: foot... Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, sorry, this sorry, is Lance, our studio producer, uh, Lance. What, uh, uh, what have you got there?
2: It's got a bloody. that's a, that's a girder. Why have you got a girder in, Lance? For the intro. I'll go and get. Uh, uh, that's the... what's that? Oh that's God! It. The... what's he got there? It's a tin. Oh it's God! It. It's got a, a mouse in it. It's yeah. a tin with a mouse in. Got
1: a biscuit tin with a mouse in. And a, and a David, a
0: are yours. go to where we said.
1: Hang on. Lance. Lance. You've brought look. You've got a girder, a biscuit tin with a mouse in, and some Mexican jumping beans. Oh. We and we said we were going to play it straight. Yeah.
2: No. This is straight. This is straight. No. No.
1: No. 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 We, no we, this we, was we, the highly we we're, we're not doing the intro with with this. this okay? we cancelled the whole. We said we would just tangential. play it straight. So can we lose the girder? Yeah. The biscuit tin with the with the mouse in and and the Mexican jumping beans.
2: You carry on with the intro. Right. I'll get the girder out.
1: Okay. So. <sighs> uh. Without further ado, in our gimmick, sound effect-free introduction, here is the wonderful world expert Jules Howard on animal vaginas.
2: The
3: mouse has gone out, the mouse has gone ah.
0: out! Oh. Oh, Christ!
3: Believe it or not, uh, there is just hardly any talk about vaginas in the animal literature. So I'm going to talk a little bit like, uh, about that. But uh, as far as where it all went wrong, It was actually my personal belief on this um, is that it was it's kind of Darwin. Things went wrong a little bit with Darwin. Now, clearly, you know, Darwin became quite the celebrity scientist for uh, you know for for natural selection. This this big idea, Um, and as nearly all of you will know, I'm sure about this 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 second book. You know, the Descent of Man, where he introduces this idea of sexual selection. So, natural selection, we all know about that. You know, it's animals that don't die survive ad infinitum. The world fills up with animals brilliant and not dying. Uh, sexual selection says that yeah that's fine but animals can also fill up with uh, the world can also fill up with animals that are just better than slightly better than everyone else at having sex. So the, uh, People often put those ideas together but that was quite a big leap. Now here are the words. Males of almost all animals have stronger passions than females. This is the, ki- the clincher. The female with the rarest of exceptions, is less eager than the male. She is coy. Now, I want you to remember those words. She is coy. Because my sort of feeling is that, to be honest, people, you know, there's a lot of fanboys in the late Victorian times, a lot of people hanging on Darwin's every move, and he made that observation. There's nothing particularly wrong with that observation, but unfortunately, it straight-jacketed the views of the animal kingdom for, in my view, like, you know, hundred years. We're only just recovering from those three words. I spent a lot of my, my life studying uh, toads. I'm a kind of toad man. And, you know, when I was learning about toads, it was all about male competition. These weird adaptations we see with toads, it's all about males. There's loads of males. There's only a few females. The males have evolved to become, like, super evolved at this thing called Amplexus, which is, like, an incredible... Hug. It's just like a really powerful hug that holds on incredibly tightly, and they're strong and they're amazing. And the females are just sort of dumb machines, really, that are there to be accosted by males. Very famous. Has anyone ever heard of the Antechinus? It's kind of like a mousy marsupial. Very kind of famous in sex science literature because it's the only mammal that has sex until it dies. Very famous story about, oh wow, there's 11 different species of these weird marsupial, m- mousy kind of things. Nearly all of those species, literally the male is having sex with anything. If they invest every last thing, they even stop repairing their liver, okay? And their immune system, and so they're wandering around, sort of going <laughs> just literally having sex with anything they can. Their brain starts to decay because that costs energy. You might as well spend that energy on sperm. And so literally, at first, the females are like, oh yeah, this is kind of how we do it in our species. But by the end, the females are like, oh my God, you are a health risk. You're actually, I need to keep away from you. So females start avoiding males just to survive. So we see, you know, that's a quite a famous story. But the more, the more, actually, when you look at it, we're only now starting to look at the females. And actually, it's them that are driving this whole crazy system with their like kind of crazy, short reproductive windows when I first started researching animal sex it was all like, oh my god, you've got to talk about octopuses oh, they're amazing, they're nine fingers they have the ninth tentacle, is a penis and sometimes this penis can snap off and it can swim into the female's vagina on its own everyone's like, you've got to tell this story and I was like, yeah, I will, I will but everyone's told it, it's, not a, it's just not it's a kind of well-trodden story because, you know, the famous story about female spiders are larger, males you know, they have to be Strong. They've got to crawl down this little web and approach the female, and they've got to somehow get their weird little penises into the female's kind of face and inseminate without the female trying to eat them. And it's again, it's about this kind of male bravery, I suppose. But the classic is, you know, mallards, most birds, we look at most birds and go, oh, wow, you know, they're tremendous Animals. We're kind of lucky. If we went to another country and saw mallards, we'd be like coming back saying, there were these beautiful ducks with green heads. We have kind of got used to this idea of how beautiful they are, but this is classically a bird thing. We're used to the, the showiness of peacocks, we're used to the showiness of, uh, of things like mallards, and everyone's a bit like, well, the females are just there in the background, coy. They're just there, coy, not doing much. And this idea is persistent. Stork-eyed flies, you know, crazy, evolution, doing natural selection, doing crazy things, sexual selection, doing crazy things, growing antlers, males fighting, boom, bash, all of this stuff. Ridiculously long antlers. Crazy adaptations and features that possibly dinosaurs would have had. And they're all about sex. And in the background, you've got those females not doing much. Now, when it came to sort of sex science, Conrad Lorenz, who some of you might have heard of, and uh, Tim Bergen, two of the very famous like, animal behaviourists. But again, there was that kind of mistake, if you like, of focusing on the males. So sticklebacks, anyone who's interested in sort of freshwater stuff, sticklebacks, really common really common males gorgeous redness and they fulfill all of these things we want out of males they build beautiful buildings and they sort of you know spend ages on the engineering and they sort of very very uh, good fathers and they look after the eggs and they even sort of spend they don't even bother sleeping because they have to oxygenate their little eggs of the little sticklebacks and the little stickleback eggs they really take care of them and this idea is, is summed up if you like so i found this in a zoology textbook the male and only the male is the hero of stickledom. Could you imagine doing zoology, learning zoology, and having that to base your learning on? The male is represented as the whole ethics of the race, existing not only as an individual, pursuing its own individual aims, but as a citizen of a higher community. The female is little more than a roving gypsy. Living free and easy without any g- conscience. What? You know what is going on? So that's kind of like what we're—you know—that's what you know—we're up against. Basically, this this kind of crazy idea of animals, sexual selection only doing mental crazy things to males. The truth is, in the last 30 years, things are changing—not massively fast—but things are changing. The zeitgeist is sort of being nudged. But yeah, we are definitely seeing now an understanding that females aren't just blooming... They're not just roving gypsies, for a start. What they are, are selecting... You could say they're kind of selecting machines. So it's not just about the redness. You know, this redness indicates how many uh, crustaceans the stickleback's eaten. Uh, You know, more red, more blue. Brilliant. That is a, a, a male that can catch stuff, a male that can eat stuff. So there's a little bit of that going on. But they can also smell his kind of immune system codes... So if a male has slightly different immune system codes, a lot of animals do this, they're kind of like, wow, I'm interested in that, I want to mix up my immune codes in our children. So we see a really great understanding that actually there's you know, all sorts of smells, especially fish, transmit to one another. And even there are some scientists that say humans also transmit kind of immune system codes. So really interesting stuff. And it's the females, if you like, that are driving this new research that is telling us much more about maybe like our own lives, I suppose. But when I spent time with ducks, <laughs> it's where it gets very weird. <laughs> when I spent time with ducks, um, I came across you know what is possibly the best uh, advance in our knowledge. Like fair enough, we can send I don't know satellites past Pluto, but when that satellite was being des- I don't know what's going on about it. I'm just going to go with it. When that satellite was being designed, no one had even thought to look at this duck's vagina. When that satellite was being designed, no one thought about it. So Patricia Brennan, really awesome uh, scientist, was like I'm going to study, I'm going to study these things because they are truly weird. Has anyone ever seen, this is one of those sentences you just think, am I really going to say this? Has anyone ever seen a duck penis? So this is a penis, ladies and gentlemen, that can uh, avert, it can, the term is actually explode, but it's a penis that can explode in 10 metres a second, it's longer than the duck. So the penis is absolutely ridiculous. It looks like a novelty party balloon at a children's party. It looks like that when it inflates. The worst children's party ever that would be, <laughs> thinking about it. But anyway, very, very unusual penis. Now, penises, for those that are interested, you know, I know we're talking about penises in a bit, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but basically, anytime in, in nature, anytime you guys see a weird penis, it's nearly always going to be about competition. So if there are not Enough females, and there's lots of males competing, expect changes. So natural selection will basically weed off those who are finding it harder to compete. So that's when you kind of see weird genitalia. And yet, classically, you've got this crazy corkscrew, 10 metre a second, incredible, incredible penis. So, female vaginas. No one had ever thought with ducks to actually have a look at this until Patricia Brennan thought, I'm going to do this. And what she found was something incredible. So you'd expect natural selection to, I don't know really, arm females with a vagina that's corkscrew shaped into which this can fit perfectly. But that's not what you see. When she looked at duck vaginas, she saw a vagina that loops in the other direction, in the opposite direction. So for some reason, the female has a vagina that actively stops penises going in. So she's got the, like the opposite of a vagina. The total opposite of a vagina. Now, naturally, a lot of times, it's like, wait on, this is the problem. I sometimes get kind of creationist, I want to say hate mail, but just sort of correspondence. And that is the ultimate, that is the ultimate for them. I'm really scared that one of them's going to find out about, oh, you know, this anti-corkscrew vagina. And they're going to say, well, I thought you said natural selection selects for, you know, amazing adaptations. And, you know, having a vagina that doesn't allow penises is not a very good adaptation. Thankfully, they don't know about that, and I'm not going to tell them. But... The most incredible thing about these these anti corkscrew vaginas that they're actively stopping, totally stopping, this explosive penis behaviour. But yeah, they're actually stopping it going in. Why are you thinking? Why would natural selection select for animals that stop that sort of behaviour? And the reason we think is because of STDs. So if you are a duck, I'll try this out, I'm not sure if it will. Okay, you guys are kind of horny ducks that are very active in your penis exploding behavior. And you guys are ducks that are slightly less active. So you're more likely to sort of just sit and watch and not get involved in the mating scrum. If you guys try it too much, you will become ridden with STDs. That's not a good way to be. Any female you try and uh, impregnate gets an STD, okay? More likely to die. You guys are kind of take the hands off approach and that's fine. You're healthier, you've got fewer STDs. How do you show that you've got fewer STDs, you have a brighter yellow beak. So in ducks, any time you're, fe- I always do this, oh, a little family is feeding ducks, and I'm there going, which one's got a yellow beak? Beautiful, well done, well done. You are disgusting, you are disgusting. But it's as simple as that. But it's really obvious which ones are basically riddled with STDs. Lovely little game for children. Um, so uh, females are more likely to reduce their uh, vaginal closing off, if you like, when they're having sexual encounters with you guys. So she can choose, if you like, with her genitalia, which is the male that's going to impregnate her. And she didn't just stop there. Patricia Brennan, the woman I mentioned, she didn't just kind of stop there. She's carried on this approach with other animals. So anytime she sees a weird spiral penis, she's like, odds on I know what that vagina's going to be like. And she's, you know, she's getting a name for herself. Very recently, she found it with dolphins. So she's dissected a dolphin. Dolphin, same sort of system. You've got loads of males competing for females with quite short reproductive windows. Natural Selection is gonna select those males at first with the crazy penises. And then Natural Selection is gonna start working on those females that are rebuffing those advances, basically. So yeah, she's amazingly just put like foam in a dead dolphin's vagina, squirted the, 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 the foam up there. And it hardens up and then they take this foam out and what do they see? They see uh, an anti-corkscrew. But genuinely, you know, I spoke with her about that, and I think genuinely, there is a lot we could learn about our own reproductive anatomy by studying other animals. You know, clearly there's not that much difference between us and other primates, but some of the strange adaptations we have, genuinely. Uh, you know, could hint at a history like ducks, a history of there being, you know, much more competition between males for females, or females having to be more selective because of all of the dirty junk that they don't want in them, basically. So it's a really interesting, uh, genuinely, I'm not just in it because I'm a pervert. it's also, uh, you know, there is, uh, there is life-enhancing stuff to get out of this kind of research, I suppose. Life-enhancing stuff. In more recent times, we are, and I kind of acknowledges. is improving i suppose i mentioned about these you know it's all about the males with amphibians no it's not what we realize is that females aren't just robotic egg making machines waiting to be fertilized about 10 years ago you often see these these are mating balls so there's a lot of lot more males in a breeding population than females and they just crowd on and it used to be like oh no these poor females you know they've got all this attention and sadly they can sometimes drown like that and they start looking at what females are doing while they've got eight males hanging off them. And instead of going, oh God, there's loads of males over there. You'd think there'd be like I'm not more males. But actually what they do is they go, oh, there's some quite loud talking males over there. I've got eight little pipsqueaks on me. Head over to the loud males. Loud males butcher these little pipsqueaks. They get a loud, stronger male. They get better offspring. They get bigger, healthier offspring. So she's actively seeking out... Opportunities to improve, you know, the pool of mates that are giving her like attention, I suppose. So, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is, it's not just about males. It never is just about males ever. It's always, always a, a kind of uh, a two-sided. So, it was a double-ended story, a two-sided story, let's say. Um, but similar with this, you know, with, the, with, the, with this kind of relationship as well, we're only now starting to look at whether or not this is genuinely. She just some, somehow, as the male approaches, she's so dumb she's just like, I've got, I must eat it, you know. But this, that's of course that's not going on. Of course that's not going on. There is some sort of reproductive advantage for both of these animals. If she does possibly eat this smaller male. And we're not massively sure what's going on, but if genuinely she's eating this male, it could well be because, you know, she gets something to eat, more investment in her eggs. They both have healthier offspring. They both have offspring better able to survive. So like I say, it's a two-sided story, just like the sticklebacks, just like with the ducks. It's like totally a two-sided story, you know, that we're seeing... Reproductive trade-offs, you know, we're seeing like kind of decisions not we don't know if they're conscious decisions But you know somehow these decisions kind of being made. It's cool. It's brilliant like when we're doing science when we're talking about science when we're all in school learning science It's literally like, you know, ah this guy Darwin he learned loads of stuff like you learn what he did and we'll test you The way that we're kind of taught is that all of the good stuff has already happened? Do you know what I mean? All of the best science stories have actually happened in the past. You learn them, you might be successful, but you're never going to be Darwin. Actually, that's totally the wrong way around it. Literally, I've learned this much too late, but you know, there is all sorts of unusual things we don't yet know about. You know, absolutely all sorts of unusual things. Like the whole vagina, the whole duck vagina thing, that's, that's kind of recent news. Pandas really do me in because the things that are said about pandas are shameful. They are absolutely it's disgusting and we just laugh about it, but it's really bad. It's really, really, really bad. Fair enough, you know, you can understand why we'd be so sort of like, you know, from the history of science, more kind of male biased in what we study. But actually, pandas, we're actively kind of anti-female. We're actively anti-female. Now, some of you might have gone to Edinburgh Zoo and seen Chan Chan. So every year, same old story, uh, she gets pregnant, although they can't really work it out, and it's all a bit like, oh, she might be pregnant, so you should probably come to our zoo and just uh, just check and just see her. Uh, and then it's like, yeah, she's pregnant. Oh, no, she's not. No, she's pregnant. Oh, no, yeah, well, It's like that every single year. And every single year, when it's finally revealed that sadly she's been unable to get pregnant, we get the normal newspaper headlines, I suppose, the normal pap written about pandas, that they are evolutionary mishaps. We hear it all the time. No, they're not. Natural selection doesn't make crap individuals. That's the opposite of what it makes. It does not make animals that are just terrible at reproducing. It just does not happen. The world is filled with experts in their own particular field of sex. Every single time. A reluctance to procreate. No, no, no. Metabolically ridiculous. Okay, you can kind of let that one stand, but many animals... Elephants are much more metabolically ridiculous than a panda. But it was so quick to be like, oh yeah, useless, useless animals. The Telegraph, sorry for any of you that read The Telegraph, this is unbelievable. So there was a story, a non-panda scientist, a nobody, a total nobody just went, oh, I'll tell you what, those pandas, eh? Yeah, in the zoos, oh yeah. Uh, When they uh, get pregnant, they uh, get air conditioning. So uh, some of these pandas have worked it out, yeah? They just pretend they're pregnant and they get air conditioning. <laughs> and it was, I think it was a PA, press, uh, Associated Press story. We're like, oh, yeah, that's, is that a fact? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a fact, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's one of those facts that's too good to check, so I'll just run that story. And literally, the following day, there is a, now a belief that pandas pretend <laughs> to be pregnant to get air conditioning. And the telegraph, obviously, you know, that's the natural next step. So they are now gyro-guzzling single mums. Tian Tian is a gyro-guzzling single mum. What a strange relationship we have with some animals, that we are so miles away from the scientific reality. We're miles away from it. And the more I looked, the more I kind of felt that there was a big problem. One of the most shocking things that I found, naturally, when I first started the research into this book, I was like, I need to ask a classic question. I need to just quickly, you know, the real, the, the crux of the book. So I typed into Google, what animal has the biggest penis? Guess how many results came up? Okay. Is it less than a million? It's about, it's about a million, yeah. It's about a million. It's, it's weird, it changes every day. I don't know what that means. Not that I check it every day. <laughs> uh, hmm. um, okay, so about a million if you type in which animal has the biggest vagina, how many hits do you get? How many unique hits do you get? Just throw it out there. Give me a number. Five thousand, thousand. fifty-three. You who said three? Five. Boom, three, three. Have you been looking? <laughs> that's <laughs> great if you have, that's brilliant. Soulmates. But yeah, genuinely, <laughs> <laughs> genuinely though, genuinely, uh, three. That's, and do you know what? Two of them are mine. Two of them are actually because of me. Because I'm like, why has no one written that? And I put it on the internet and now I come up. And are, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable that that is, I don't know, I mean, i spent ages deliberating on whether it's a male condition and we're just generally a bit more interested in that kind of thing, or whether, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I've got no answers for that. It's just, it's just very strange. Very strange, I suppose. So, pandas and ducks and these other animals became sort of flags to me that there is a, uh, you know, a problem. I think it's a problem, hopefully, that is changing. And pandas are not crap. I want you to go away. That's the one thing I want you to go away with, apart from all the memories of vaginas. I also want you to go away thinking, do you know what? Pandas are all right. Next time you hear people slagging them off, just sort of go, well, sh- the zoos, are, you know, if there's a problem, it's because we're just knackering them in the wild. And then we put them in zoos, and they're like, what are we supposed to do here? If I, anyway, So yes, in the wild, of course, they are uh, you know adept at partner tracking. They are not crap at sex at all. They actually vocalise. They have a kind of yapping noise that they use to locate one another. They can do uh, handstands. So they can do kind of crazy, un- very unusual handstands. They can hold it there for ages. Um, and they, that's to maximise the spread of their urine, which is their chemical messaging. So they have a whole, whole kind of complex m- messaging Social messaging, genuinely a social messaging uh, strategy, I suppose, to the way they do business. Females are wildly promiscuous, they're the opposite of this coy, this coyness that that, that some papers uh, imagine them to be. Female pandas are not coy, they're actively seeking as much sex as possible. That whole thing about them having a tiny reproductive window, it is garbage. Animals don't evolve tiny reproductive windows unless they're amazingly brilliant at sex. It's the way it works. It's the way it work. If you can guarantee sex with you know ten partners in three days, why would you need a one-month window? So when people say, oh, did they "Just have a tiny reproductive window," oh, they're terrible. They should go extinct. They're awesome. They're absolutely fine. You know that's that's like a you know, and males are, are you know are charged up for it. They are, you know have one of the largest, highest sperm counts of any bear. So don't, you know, don't let people get away with slagging off. I mean, should they be conserved? I don't know. I don't know. That's up, up to us to decide whether we should conserve them. But are they crap at sex? No, absolutely not. So I hope you guys will join me in nudging that zeitgeist a bit more when we get that opportunity, I suppose. I said about ovulation rarely. Verdict, very good at mating. I must say it's one of my most sweaty... Performances, so I'm sorry about that. It's kind of suits though in a weird sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. I've got one here, I've got Whoa. Whew. Quite a talk. Jill yeah. ha- Jules Howard there, world yeah. expert on a subject which, well, I think it's one of our more unusual it speaks talks. for itself
2: doesn't it it really it does
1: it does speak for itself but Ugh. it's our job to speak fill, after the, it. fill the the last remaining minutes with some entertaining and lively anecdotes of our own
2: fill the void as it were yes <clears throat> <clears throat> Huh. well dave you you you've you've got loads of i'm sure uh, animal vagina uh, anecdotes let's uh, let's uh, hear your personal take on it um uh, uh um, right, right, right. Um, well, I, I, I've i got one. I've good, got good, one. Good, good, good. Okay. Um, did you... Uh, uh, <clears throat> apparently, there are some animals whose, whose, whose clitorises, clitori, are actually partly made of bone. Did Dave, it's in the talk. Oh, right. It's in the talk. Right. Um, oh, well, dolphins, okay, dolphins. It's in the talk. Uh, um, did, uh, did you know uh, yeah. a, a female mallard... It's in the talk. It's in the oh, yeah, talk, yeah, it's it all is, in it. the talk. It yeah, is, that is. Um, uh,
1: desperate times call for desperate measures, I think. <sighs> should we invite Andrew and Lance yeah, in? Yeah, Andrew, Lance. Andrew and Lance. Andrew Lance, can you come and come and join us for some lively, just having some lively debates. We're having uh, a bit of a kind
2: of this. Steve Wright knockabout Hi. bit. So, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, you so know, we've done the... all our animal vagina anecdotes, our personal ones. Yeah. Uh, just want to see if yours are better. Obviously ours are yeah, great, yeah, but, yeah. you know. Bring the producers in, see. Andrew, got some material? Well, there's, um... No. um hang hang on come on Lance uh, Andrew's drawn a blank you've, you've got stuff you've got to have stuff about animal vaginas you, you you're all, all over this there was that research done with um that guy who wrote the book the guy who wrote the book yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's his, his talk right yeah. are you actually awake when we make these if you if you go on the internet did it's you in the know- talk
1: it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some the talk
2: Hey, there's a special kind of
1: vagina that's uh, in, oh, in, in the talk. Okay, look, what we're going to do? Uh, I hate to say this, but Lance and Andrew. Yeah. Will you go and get the girder yeah. and the mouse in the box and the, the, and the, the Mexican, Mexican jumping beans?
2: Yeah, get them. <sighs> oh, oh, oh! Look, right. There's the girder. So, yep, yeah. and the, uh. the mouse. Good. Uh well, oh oh I know um yes. competition it's competition, competition time. time it's competition yeah. time and the So competition the competition
1: is-, is is can any of our listeners actually figure out how we were going to put together an entertaining and talk at the good? beginning linking With together Daniel Mexican and- jumping beans Ow! the good... uh and the mouse and in the little box. mouse in the box. Yeah. If what? you can, then write to the auditorium podcast, England, yeah. and that should,
2: should get ah. to us. And the most complicated, uh, I mean, the correct one, will be read out uh, on, on air. On air. Oh, the mouse! The mouse has come out of the box. Ah. God, the mouse oh. is in oh, the box. Get the mouse. Get the mouse. Don't stamp on it. Don't stamp on it. Got it. Look at its little mouse vagina.
0: The Auditorium is presented by Dr. David Bramwell and Mr. David Mountfield. The producers are Lance Dan and Andrew Mayling. You can discover more about the show at oddpodcast.com, where you can find out about upcoming events and festival shows. If you'd like to give a talk about something that you're passionate about, then email us at contact at oddpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at oddpodcastuk. Talks from The Auditorium are featured in Ernest Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. If you like The Auditorium, then please leave a review for us on iTunes.